Hi, this is Vanessa Sunshine. Hi, this is Alicia. Hi, I'm Georgia Love. I'm Osha Ginsberg. If you're listening to the sound of my voice, you are on the Bachelor of Hearts podcast. What do you do with an arts degree? I'm still not sure I know. I skipped three years worth of lectures just to binge watch awful shows. There must be some scholarship for accruing worthless knowledge. It's my only talent, honey. That and losing money. Let your excess hex debts rest and then just join us while we start on our bachelor. Hello. Hello and welcome back to the Bachelor of Hearts podcast, the Bachelor Australia podcast that asks the question, following on from a season in which the Bachelor Australia tallied record low ratings for Channel 10, what can the franchise do to rejuvenate itself and regain its stranglehold on the audience. No jokes this time. That's My just name, a real question. It's just a genuine question. My name is Max Quinn. Joining me, as always, is Xavier Rebetsky Noonan. Hi, Xavier. Hey, everybody. No jokes this week. Sorry. I'm not doing anything funny at all. <laughs> we... if, you've, if you're finding this funny, that's a you problem. I think that I have a problem. And this is our State of the Bachelor Nation report for 2021. If this is your first time joining us, you could not have come at a better time. Welcome. We Hello. are your number 13 source for all things The Bachelor and Bachelorette Australia. Me and Xavi, longtime best friends, big batchy lovers, and we try to assess the television product, the show, its characters, the way that they're created. And if we are to draw a longer bow, the way in which The Bachelor, the TV series, reflects us as an audience. There's so much to break down in this episode, we have suggestions from the audience. We have a big question that I would like to pose at some point. To what extent is the franchise in trouble? So much still to come. Before we go any further, let's come off the top. Quick hitter news. Xavi, what you got for me? So I listened back to a quite old episode of our podcast from mm. uh, the Honey Badger season. Um, I didn't realize we used to have a name for this segment. Did we? <laughs> yeah. I didn't even know we were doing news back then, but we were calling it Batch World Catch-Up, <laughs> which I like, honestly. Let's bring it back. Why the it's hell not? For, so it's time for a Batch World Catch-Up. Okay. Top story this week, did because it, did, 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 did. it's, frankly, I'm, I always get a bit confused about what order to do these in, but this one's mm. just the most recent. Came across my desk this morning, and I thought, let's do it. Superstar ex-Bachelor contestant, podcaster, celebrity who got out of there, ex-potential Bachelor of Hearts guest who is still welcome technically to come on the show anytime she likes, but it's probably less likely than ever, Abby Chatfield, has been ordained as the host of the new Love Island Australia after party on Channel 9 later this year. That rules. Good for Ab. Yeah. As host, she will facilitate discussions with panellists and islanders and sink her teeth into all the juicy gossip straight from the villa. And we are so excited for her next foray into the world of reality television competition style dating shows, which are set on a beach. <laughs> the Australian version of Love Island, as we know, is hosted by ex-bachelorette Sophie Monk. So mm. it is interesting to see another iconic Australian batchy star 
jumping ship and paddling out to the island. Uh, although it's not that surprising when you consider how poorly the powers that be treated Abby on both of her seasons of Batchy. Good for Abby. Yeah, we wish her lots of luck. I, uh, I, I decided I will now watch Love Island. All right. Normally, it is simply one too many things uh, to do that and this, um, but I'm looking forward to it. I think, uh, you know, why the fuck not? What, Let's what give a, it a rip. Who the fuck am I? Come on. <laughs> uh, story number two. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Ex-Bachelorette and now Seven News reporter Georgia Love has seen controversy and furor this week. After posting footage of a cat sitting behind the window of a dumpling restaurant in Melbourne with the caption, shop attendant or lunch. Mm. Uh, Georgia deleted the video within an hour and replaced it with an apology tile explaining that the racially insensitive joke was an innocent mistake. I meant for this to be a joke about an animal being in a restaurant at lunch service time. I meant absolutely no insinuation about the type of animal, nor the type of restaurant, but I see that my post did not come across like that and was offensive. I sincerely apologize for the oversight and offense I have caused. Soon after this apology was posted, Instagram account Aussie Influencer Opinions resurfaced a post that Georgia Love made in 2013. A while ago, uh, with a similar joke about a shop front which showed an animal hospital next to a restaurant called China Chef, followed by the dog with the shifty eyes from The Simpsons with a caption reading, that's suspicious. Mm. Georgia Love's Twitter page has now been deactivated and Instagram comments have been limited and the Herald Sun reports that Channel 7 bosses have moved her to an off-camera role. Rough week for Georgia Love. This is tough. I mean, it, you know, it's, I, I, um, it is not for us to determine how offensive this is or isn't, or, mm-hmm. you know, it certainly doesn't look too good. Not great. Um, I feel like there's a lot of piling on going on with her that I don't necessarily want to contribute to either. No. Um, but, you know, come on. I think maybe what this speaks to is the ways that social media and The Bachelor are, like, completely irrevocably linked to one another. 100%. Um, which I guess we'll be going into more in more detail as this episode proceeds. Yeah, look, this is a bad joke. That's kind of it. Um, it's it's insensitive. It's no good. I think that the parties involved acted appropriately, and uh, in ter- in terms of um, the the repercussions, and I think that we can move on. Yeah, I get the impression that Georgia Love uh, d- regrets this and yep. uh, was just a bit clueless about it. I don't think that. Uh, you know, it, uh, any kind of real malice was uh, um, necessarily intended here. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it speaks to the undercurrent of racial inequality that echoes throughout The Bachelor's entire history, dating back to 2002, season one, which we will be talking about on next week's episode of The Bachelor of Hearts podcast. Yeah, look, um, and it should definitely be said that sometimes those uh, casual... Racisms are the most harmful because hmm. they come from people who would otherwise present as allies, and it's important to uh, yeah. call that shit out when it's when it's present. For sure. Finally, uh, we will be talking about Instagram a bit later in this episode, but it's worth mentioning at the top that most of the players of Season 9 of The Bachelor Australia, which we have just finished recapping, mm-hmm. have now regained control of their social media accounts. 
with the exception of Brooke, Holly, and Jay, the top three, uh, everybody else has removed the official managed by a third party script from their Instagram bio, and most have begun sharing introductory content to their new audiences, offering up Q&As with their new fans and sharing photos and stories accumulated since being on the show. Wonderful. Wonderful. The most interesting part about this is, as we speculated last week, the blue ticks have continued to roll out across the cast. And we can now report that at the time of recording, each and every one of the contestants in this season now has the official signifier of clout, except for Stephanie Lynch. Interesting. Mm. So we spoke last week about Steph's cheeky, sneaky, separate page. And it would seem that the widely reported blue tick reward for cooperating with the notoriously strict Bachelor contracts has been denied. Uh. <laughs> Still, Steph's Instagram page, her tickless Instagram page, has seen a great deal of traction over the course of this series, which will plausibly carry over to her Twitch stream, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. And I think in terms of strategy... Or, you know, I think maintaining her own, like, loose unit sort of vibe, her, you know, her personal identity in the face of the very structured environment of the Bachelor franchise might, in fact, benefit her more than the clout from a blue tick, the swipe up activation or whatever um, ever could. What, what do you reckon? Yeah, I think Steph's fine, to be honest with you. Like, she's not going to be selling products for HelloFresh, I don't think, anyway. So, right, what does it matter? I mean, you know, there'll be some brands who aren't bothered by this and she will pr presumably get some offers for stuff. Whether that's something she wants to pursue or not, I mean, you know, power to her. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you're right in that um, this is less of a big deal than um, I think maybe Network 10 thought that it would be. I think there was also some conversation about there being a cash tip as well, mm. um, which might, I mean, you know, I don't know, whatever. I hope she is uh, able to feed and clothe and house herself in future <laughs> whatever <laughs> how do you end this segment let's move on fantastic look yes we are here to break down the state of the bachelor nation for 2021 hello you have found us on the bachelor of hearts podcast if you were joining us uh, for the first time from warner brothers or from Channel 10, <laughs> as I suspect might be the case for this episode. Maybe. I want to emphasize that we love this show. Yeah, true. Uh, I'd like, uh, in the sense that it has brought so much to our friendship and that it has allowed us to build a little community of like-minded friends, continuing the conversation in the Bachelor of Hearts Osh posting group on Facebook. All and of so whom like this show and are invested in it staying on the air due to no other reason than liking it and, you know, having fun, right? That's right. And so the sentiment surrounding the most recent season of the show, coupled with the low ratings that I'm sure that we'll talk about, mm -hmm. is quite troubling, you know? And as much as we might sometimes say, oh, here's why I don't like X or Y about the show or what it's done, we don't want it to end, you right. know? And what you're about to hear is feedback delivered with love and cultivated by us and by our friends in the BOH Osh posting group on Facebook as well. Free market research from a dedicated fan base, if you mm -hmm. want to look at it. And very engaged. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's about something that's important to us. So we're going to discuss all kinds of ideas from the community in the next hour or so. 
In the last episode, we did make a call out for voice submissions for people using the Anchor.fm platform, which is the platform that we use to host the podcast. Uh, And you can do voice submissions through there. But it turns out you need an account in order to do that, which is presents its own set of problems. So we will continue to search for an easier way to make that option available to you. But I can promise that one rogue listener uh, has peppered in many questions for the show <laughs> using the anchor.fm platform, which you will be able to experience soon. I think that what we should do to start with is just set this up good and right. Let me ask you this question, Xavier, mm. before we get into all of the ideas, the big media discussion, to what extent do you think the franchise is in trouble, whatever that means to you? Right. So, I mean, it's a good question. And I think it is a question that is in the air at the moment, you know, Um, tonight. Oh, Oh, Lord. Lord. Yeah. Um, I do get the sense, and it's not just from us um, by any means. I think it is from uh, a bunch of people that this is a bit of a pivot point for the franchise in Australia. This year, The Bachelor experienced its lowest rated season to date. The average view account across this entire season was around 455,000 people, whilst last year's season drew in about 670,000 on average, which incidentally was also a record low. Um, And obviously, I think the show is still frequently winning in its core demographics. So like 16 to 39, 18 to 49. Um, But there is a general shift away from watching this show when it is on TV, uh, you know, at the time that it is being broadcast on broadcast television, which I think we have talked about this before. That's a general trend. It certainly has, uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily just echo people's perspectives about The Bachelor. It also echoes the changing state of the media landscape and the ways that our current like ratings and systems don't necessarily reflect the ways that people are engaging with television in this day and age. I think that's all very true. I wonder if we can contextualize this with some, some more numbers, AB. Do you have even a comparison of how the finale performed this year versus last year? Yes, um, because the finale is, every season, it is the biggest episode. I think that is, I'm looking at my grid right now, and I think that is true across the board. More people watch the last one than anything else. I can't imagine why. That must be a weird way to watch this Mm. show, but Mm. whatever. I'm not going to judge the uh, wonderful people for their picadillos and the way that they choose to engage with this program. Uh, We thank them for watching. Not that we stand to gain anything. Maybe we should have even said, if anyone is listening who is not from Warner Brothers or Channel 10... We're not we don't we're not getting paid or anything for this. <laughs> it's just like we're not actually engaged, you know, we're not anyway. So the way that the ratings are reported for the finale is a little bit interesting with this show because the episode gets broken up into two different counts. Um I think largely just because there are more people watching at the end than at the start. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because it always goes for a couple of hours, I think they just break it up into the last episode and then what's called the final decision. Right. And I'm not sure at exactly what point they switch from one, you know, when they when they check the reports again or whatever, but one assumes mm-hmm. that like this is how many people are watching by the time the episode ends. So let's compare final decision to final decision as um apex to apex. Okay. So the season 9 final decision was watched by 629,000 people live on the television as it was airing, 
compared with season eight, Loki's finale, which was viewed by 929,000 people at the time of airing. So, so that's a difference of 300,000. Yeah, like a 30% drop-off, which is significant. Mm. And we throw into that mix that, now, I don't know whether I am looking at the final decision or whether I am looking at the ratings bit for for this, but mm-hmm. the finale for The Farmer Wants a Wife this year, in its resurgent season on Channel 7, had more than 900,000 viewers for its finale. And the Matt Agnew season had 1.24 for its finale two years ago. Mm. I mean, that's another 30%. Right. There are and only so many 30% drop-offs that you could handle. I would <laughs> right, imagine. right. We're losing 30% and then we're losing 30%. We've halved the audience in two years. Mm. Let me tell you this. On the same night as the Bachelor finale this year, 629000 for the decision, Home and Away had 590,000 viewers. That's pretty wild. We're starting to size up the problem a bit more evenly. We've mm. lost half the audience in two years, some probably to streaming services and watching and catching up on demand. That's fine. But I think that we are seeing somewhat of a decline in, uh, well, an obvious decline in measurable television ratings. And I would say also a bit of a decline in what I would describe as the overall sentiment toward the show. And what I mean by that is reading the comments, gathering people's opinions online. Right. The gauge, the temperature is is tepid. Yeah, this is the other element. Um, you know, ratings are down across the board and ratings are down a little for The Bachelor. It's pretty hard to argue that that's not true. But there's also this shift in public opinion. It would appear that maybe people are a little bit tired of the way that things are right now. This mm-hmm. is a natural problem that often happens with long-running TV shows. Um, let's take, for example... Pop culture and entertainment juggernaut Punky, um, who have a very engaged young audience, which traditionally overlaps generously with that of The Bachelor. They do a lot of coverage of Bachelor. Bachelor people share their stuff. They raised a poll on their Instagram stories of their audience, whether they thought that the series needed to take a break, and 80% voted in favor of the idea. Mm. So, you know, I mean, look, your mileage may vary, but I think, and, and, and I think many of our listeners agree that the Bachelor franchise in Australia is a, a little bit of a fork in the road. Yeah, look, to answer my own question, to what extent is the franchise in trouble? To me, it feels like it's only in trouble in the sense that 2023 feels like it could be up in the air, unless we are to consider some kind of different approach to product delivery. Like, this is a flagship franchise for the network, I would hope and also make a guess that they would be offered a chance at a rebound season after consecutive down years. And conspicuously this year, they also had to contend with the Olympics and the juggernaut that was Farmer Wants a Wife that nobody saw coming. And from a programming perspective, like you've got to fit the premiere in before the Olympics start to try and draw people with you. Mm. But I think that the thing that no one saw coming was the the way that it lost out so significantly premiere of the bachelor to finale of farmer. I would guess that that must've been a huge blow because it meant that people did like that follow on effect did really not happen. Right. Of people coming week by week through the journey with Jimmy. So to what extent is the franchise in trouble? You're right. We're at a fork in the road. I think that they need to rejuvenate. I think that next year, We'll probably still end up seeing a Bachelor series, but we are 
wading into increasingly tenuous waters. Yeah, I also want to raise that um, Channel 10, I, I think this is important, Channel 10 has bought the rights to First Dates Australia from Channel 7, mm. um, and that series is due to launch next year with a format which is at least purportedly designed to engineer like genuine romantic connections. Mm. There was an on-air casting call for the first day to revival, which had the network seeking contestants that are, quote, genuinely looking for love and willing to participate in, quote, a blind date that could be the start of your own happily ever after. It feels to me, and I might be speculating, I might be reading whatever I want into this, but it feels to me like this, this like uh, wording is kind of almost defined in contrast to the network's other big dating show, The Bachelor. Mm. And I think this speaks to a bit of a split which is taking place that we talked about last week with Patrick and Eilish between this like real connection, real dating side of romance reality TV and the sort of wacky, cranked up to 11, high concept TV, like Married at First Sight, like Too Hot to Handle, like Sexy Beasts, um, which is kind of funny to think about when you consider how weird and unnatural the premise of The Bachelor is to begin with, Mm -hmm. and how that used to be a criticism leveled against The Bachelor of like, how could anyone date in this environment or whatever. I think like over time, the novelty of the format, the the longest running dating reality competition show, uh, has worn off a little bit. And so I think that right now and over the last year or two, The Bachelor Australia has been trying to kind of have it both ways and struggling to find its place. I think that's a good summary of, of where we're at with the franchise. I suppose now is probably the right time to move into trying to answer the question, right? What ideas are out there to mm. solve whatever problems exist? The first thing that rises to the top in this conversation most of the time, Mm. um, you know, and has been a part of the conversation around what is wrong with The Bachelor for many, many years is casting. I think that this is something that is very visible and very noticeable about this show. And when the initial uh, wave of publicity comes out about a new season starting, it is the thing that most eyes are focused towards, you know, who is going to be the bachelor, who is going to be the bachelorette, who are the contestants? What is the makeup of the cast? Um, And there are a lot of ideas about how this could be improved. I'm really interested in this because I almost hold not the opposite opinion, but a a different opinion to this saying that I think that the issue is within casting. Certainly, I think that there are improvements to be made in the way that the show is cast. But on the whole, if we are to exercise our white privilege and and set diversity and um, representation aside just for a minute, we'll come back to it. Mm -hmm. Um, My thought is that I kind of think that at least the last season of the show was pretty well cast. I'm inclined to agree on that level. I think that, um, you know, finding characters and finding people who are fun to watch on TV and um, that sort of thing is not necessarily a weak point of this show. And in fact, I would argue it's maybe a strength. Yes, I agree. Um, You know, I compare this with other shows that I watch, other dating type shows, even like US Batchy or whatever. And I do think you genuinely get a fairly different, fairly interesting crop of people. Um. I guess when I say casting, I am more talking about the the issues of like representation and diversity 
Mm. Um, I I feel like I can't put this much better than Caitlin in our Osh posting group, who says a queer lead from time to time, preferably every time, and more queer suitors. More diversity in the suitors in general is essential and not just racial diversity. I want body diversity and disabled folks and, of course, more redheads. <laughs> um, and then past and future guest Lauren Connolly adds, honestly, they just need to do one version with regular, not hot people, Bogan Bachelor <laughs> or something to that effect. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really liking this idea because it is, Caitlin is correct, I think, in the sense that it is diversity of perspective as well. Right. Because um, what we traditionally might experience from The Bachelor is a love story that I might deem to be a little bit inaccessible for a lot of people. And mm. if we are to project out, that's kind of a big problem. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, if, if part of the issue is that the audience is narrowing, um, then it, it's completely within reach for the show to look at ways to broaden that audience Mm. whether that be including more people who you know have disabilities or whether that means obviously like i well the the elephant in the room is that brook season is coming later this year and this feels like a good and big step in a number of different ways i guess like it remains to be seen how they will actually engage with those things and there'll be plenty of room to discuss that when it happens Mm -hmm. um one thing that comes to my mind about this show is that the lead is almost always like 30, like, or like 31 or like 32. Yeah. Um, and I think there are ways to substantially change the show just by changing that simple fact. That's um, interesting. Like it has been raised in America that there's this idea that's been kicking around. They've been doing casting for a season of The Bachelor or, you know, something in The Bachelor universe, whether it might be a spinoff or something that has an older cast. Mm. And I think, especially when we're talking about like the ways that people are engaging with this show, the fact that the numbers are dropping in broadcast network TV, a lot of the viewers of broadcast network TV are older and a lot of the viewers of like online content are younger, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe the part of the problem is, well, not part of the problem, but a, way, a, a solution would be to engage an older set of fans um, or, you know, try and find a, a part of the audience that they haven't traditionally tapped into. I think that's interesting. It would challenge Channel 10's uh, brief, I suppose, to target the, the 18 to 39 demographic that they are, you know, focused on winning. Mm. But definitely, I think that there is room for an older or a younger bachelor you know, like mm. there, there is room in that sphere to experiment beyond the the traditional portrayal. And I think that maybe the sentiment that we're trying to reflect here is that the traditional portrayal has grown a little bit stale for many of the viewers. Yeah. And I think um, part of it is like the things that are interesting about these leads are often revealed bit by bit over the course of the show. Mm-hmm. And you know, somebody who on a surface level might seem not that interesting, we will learn through analysis and through their behavior and that kind of thing, um, or their reactions to things, that they were, in fact, more interesting the whole time. But people are making up their mind about whether or not they will engage with a series of television long before that they get the opportunity to do that. That's right. And Absolutely, that's right. Yeah, and so this is how you get things like uh, casting a big celebrity. Mm. You know what I mean? 
I think a key reason, and this touches on something I might talk about again later, but a key reason that the US series of The Bachelor is still a ratings juggernaut, it is an absolute titan, mm. is that each season builds on the previous one in a really smart way. So each season's lead is more often than not cast from the previous season. So we're already somewhat familiar and invested in their personality and in their storyline and in them getting some kind of happy ending. And I feel like in Australia, it seems like the short-term headline-grabbing sort of stunt casting has often been favoured. Yeah, for sure. The Honey Badger is the Bachelor. What? Right. And it's worked. Like, you know, those are Mm -hmm. the ratings that, if we look back on the history of the show, um, those are the highest-rated seasons. Those are the ones that have drawn the most people in. Mm -hmm. But I do think that is a bit of a short-term gain, as opposed to building something that, you know, snowballs season after season, Um, you know, Honey Badger is a great example or Sophie Monk, who's a pop star, or also like trying out something new, like two leads who are sisters um, was another big stunt like that. Um, These types of things will get people interested. will get people talking about the show, but it won't get them to stick around. I think that the show can do a lot to uh, use cross-pollination to its advantage um i think that there is a possibility to still do both in a way Mm -hmm. and i think that this is why maybe it's such a perfect move to cast brooke from the honey badger season who you know not only was on the honey badger season who we fell in love with and want to see succeed because of that existing storyline and her place in our memory but she also happens to be the first openly queer leader of the franchise as well as a proud aboriginal woman like that is truly an absolute home run as far as casting goes um but i think even within the show itself like bringing back happy couples to give advice to current batchies or uh even bringing back scorned ex-contestants as well Mm, for sure i I think like all this stuff what it does is it builds the australian batchy universe in a Mm -hmm, way mm -hmm. so that you are watching a season of tv but you're also watching the next chapter in this whole thing that maybe you're caught up in um and i realize we're speaking right to the heartland of our audience right here who are people who are very invested but i think you can make people invested you know right you're building loyalty Right. And like Bachelor in Paradise, I think, is a weapon that the show can wield. I think even, you know, it doesn't necessarily guarantee the big ratings that Bachelor and Bachelorette do, but it improves the ratings of those show just by of those shows just by existing. Um, so I think that that if if they can remove the sensation that once a season ends, it's gone forever. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and it's if, lost to time. Right. I think um, more can be done to um, to encourage loyalty and to stop people from going like, okay, I think I've seen it now and stop watching. I know what this is. Now let me watch um, these, these funny farmer men um, try and find their romance and there's right. six of them, you know? Right. Because the advantage that a lot of other shows have is that they don't, there's no, there's no, I mean, it's an advantage in the sense that you don't need to know anything about them before going in and you can go, these people are dating each other while they're wearing masks. Isn't that crazy? We can't see their faces and Mm -hmm. I will forget about them in half an hour. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think the bachelor, um, one of its real key strategic points is the fact that it is this kind of empire. It is, you know, it is the longest running thing there and they should be using that history and, um, you know, weaponizing it. 
I'm reflecting a little bit more on the part of casting that is casting for The Bachelorette. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about how we might continue the narrative from the last season, which was the Becky Ellie season. Mm. Who's that guy? <laughs> That's a great point. That's a great point. Because I don't remember any of the guys from that season, really. I think the is, only is that what you're getting is, at? Yeah, like I'm thinking the only guy is Joe Woodbury, who you could potentially do it with, but I think he even he's coupled up now. You um, could maybe do Fraser? No, fuck no. What's wrong with Fraser again? Didn't he cheat on her or something? And then they uh, broke up real quick. And he's also got that, he's got a chain tattooed across his... <laughs> they don't mind about ch- tattoos across the chest. Though. Yeah, look, the show has shown a history of... Uh, Frankly, it might help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, that that is that is part of it. I think that we have had seasons that have been particularly well cast. Angie Kent's season, mm. really well cast. The last season of... Uh, the last season of The Bachelor that we just watched, yeah. well cast. Matt Agnew season, really, really well cast. We've just been going back and re-watching Honey Badger season and the amount of like superstar players who are in that season. Talk me through it. So we've got, obviously we've got Brooke, who is going to be the next Bachelorette. Mm-hmm. We have Alicia, who is now, uh, you know, has been on three seasons of the show um, and is now the co-host of the official Bachelor podcast. We have people like... Um, Cass, who was a huge, huge part of Bachelor in Paradise as well as this season. We have Brittany Hockley, who mm. is now also a huge Bachelor podcast star and like yeah, influencer and figure in her own, like right outside of this show. Mm-hmm. Um, we have people that I had forgotten about, but who turned out to be a big deal, like Tennille and oh, Dasha yeah. from Russia. Yeah. Um, Vanessa Sunshine was on that season. Oh, God. You know, like it's pretty, it's pretty stacked. Yeah. Um, sorry to anyone I didn't know name who was listening. Cat <laughs> and Romy were on that season. Yep, yep, yep. Um, Steph Crothers, who we know. Shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, uh, lots of big people within the. You, know, you, you're totally right. Like sometimes I, I, I would argue that casting does a pretty admirable job of finding interesting people, mm-hmm. save for the Becky. Ellie season maybe and uh and, and lucky season the women on lucky season who I guess weren't really offered the opportunity to shine because of the pandemic right and I almost wonder how uh how much of that comes down to casting and how much of it is just like those seasons were a scramble yeah I think that that might be the case too mm. but to cap off this conversation which comes up so frequently about the integration of more different kinds of people into this show. Fuck yeah. yeah. Because I think, I think we talked about mostly... That's what we're talking about. Yeah, we talked mostly about like the ways that they are able to make good characters and cast people who will be interesting and stuff like that. And I think that they have shown that they are, they are able to get interesting stories out of a cast of 20 people who all look basically the same yeah. kind of every year. Yeah. And so why not use those finely honed skills... Mm. on a group of people who have more differences between them and more closely reflect the makeup of, well, not even necessarily reflect the makeup of the world that we live in. Um, You know, they could do better than the makeup, you know, like we could statistically prioritize. Hey, this is Evie. I think it'd be really great if they had a season where it was all redheads. Sure, sure. You know? I guess like... um 
large scale differences breed drama. And I mm. think that to the extent that the show could do a better job of showcasing our differences and our different types of people therein, you're creating an opportunity to to propagate more drama, which mm. we know is uh, something that the show wants to leverage for the purpose of ratings. Right. It might be, and I hate that I am thinking this because there is a cynical side of me, as there often is, that we get to the end of this coming season of The Bachelorette with Brooke Burton and a queer cast mm. and uh, an Indigenous lead, and it might be handled so poorly that I am begging them not to do that anymore. <laughs> like, there is a part of me that is just like, look, you know, I don't necessarily trust the producers of this franchise to handle everything with... Um, compassion and understanding and you know whatever drama might come up about from one of the women being a wheelchair user or whatever it might be mm. may suck you know mm -hmm. um so i want to allow room for that too but mm -hmm. the the message of that can't be only cast able-bodied thin attra conventionally attractive people who are white like it, that can't be the way that this this progresses uh because it's boring. <laughs> yeah. And because your audiences in the 2020s expect more. Here is my suggestion. This is a long one. We're going to go on a journey here. Please stay with me. Great. It is good for the show to perceive The Bachelor to be multifaceted. Okay. That's I like where this. I'm going to start. Okay. Yeah. I think that the franchise has long made the mistake of flattening out their leading man in particular. You think about Angie Kent, you think about Sophie Monk, you think about Sam Frost. These are people who brought and imbued such personality into their roles as Bachelorette. But if we were look, looking at The Bachelor in particular, all of these men are, are wooden. And this season, it was almost at another level. Jimmy was a prop, mm. you know? You mm. could substitute just about any man with the requisite level of attractiveness into that role, and they would have turned out more or less the same, at least that's my hypothesis, save for all of the pilot-related shenanigans, which I would posit existed in the first place as a way to make this man appear interesting or desirable. But do you know what I think is interesting and desirable and also makes for great television, Zavi? Emotional articulation. Like, let mm. me give you an example. It's this. I had feelings for Eleanor <laughs> that I've actually never felt for anyone in my life. She <laughs> gave me butterflies every morning when I saw her. I would be talking to her and I would be busting to go to the toilet. But I would rather sit there and piss, piss my, my pants, pants and talk to her than go to the toilet. Yeah, yeah. On the one hand, it's very much a joke, but I'm also not joking. Like, we are staring directly into this man's very confusing soul. <laughs> yeah, that's it true. Is pristine emotional articulation on television, incredibly compelling for numerate reasons. It's the type of person that you don't meet saying the type of thing you don't hear. Fucking A. You know? Yes. Like, it's, it's the unexpected. Yeah, right? And I don't know anything at all, really, about what Jimmy's soul looks like. And 
obviously getting that across is a tall order for a television show, but we've just seen in the way that you have so beautifully described it, the type of person you don't meet saying the type of thing that you don't hear, that they are very much capable of doing it. Mm. You need to show me more than this man is a pilot with a hot bod. And veritably, I want to add, this man's job is not pilot, it is bachelor. That's true. And I think it is for the extreme good of the show to make more of that, you know? Show me that men want to be mates with him and women want to date him and our friends across the gender identity spectrum can find something about him that is even the tiniest bit relatable. And for mine, in order to allow your audience to be able to see a bit of themselves in The Bachelor, you need to humanize him. Mm. And here's how I think you do it. You present him as flawed. I was thinking a lot about what Eilish Gilligan said on the previous episode of the pod about how a vulnerable bachelor is a flawed bachelor and are we ready for that? And after meditating on it under a waterfall... (laughs) Looking out onto the horizon. (laughs) Drone shots circling you. Right, right. Channel 10's target market is increasingly an audience who have personal relationships with individual content makers who they relate to. Yeah. Influencers within their sphere of interests. For every every interest, an influencer who has risen to prominence because people find them interesting, relatable, uh, attractive, probably some combination of the three often of the time. And that's what you like. That's what you want from your bachelor, right? I ask you in all sincerity... What kind of person can relate to Jimmy based on the way that he was presented on television this year? Co-pilots. Co-pilots. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean, though? Like, he was presented as a utility. Yeah. The electricity plant, the waterworks, there to perform a function and decidedly not to function as a complex and interesting human being. And mm. based on that, my hot tip for evolving brands as someone who has had, and not to toot my own horn, but every so often, beep, beep, bitch, great success working with brands and communities. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My hot tip is that a fallible brand is an accessible brand because in making yourself fallible, you allow people to find where they fit in. You know, yeah, in shaping yeah. community, you are leveling the playing field. You are creating accessible discretion. In a large part, I think that is why we now attach ourselves to YouTubers and podcasters and people on TikTok rather than mastheads. I mean, let's look at the people who have become, I mean, I don't have all of this data out in front of me, but the people who have become most like successful on social media in the years following their appearances on this show, mm-hmm. it is people like uh, Abby Chatfield, yep. cast a long shadow. Uh, and then you've got your Brooke Blurtons, you've got your Bella Varellis. Alicia. You've, you've got Alicia. Which obviously some of these are influenced by how far they went in the competition and how mm-hmm. much they have engaged with the franchise since then, but um, you know, your your Laura Byrne, your mm-hmm. uh, who else are we talking about? Uh, Life Uncut. What's her name? Brittany. Brittany Hockley. Yeah. Yeah. Um, these are people who we have gotten to know and who their enduring power um, in terms of social media and the. Uh, the parasocial uh, world, um, you know, is informed by how well we've gotten to know them both on screen and off. 
and the presentation of flaws and, uh, you know, visible aspects of humanity that you're right. I don't think we necessarily got to see a huge amount of um, from Jimmy or, you know, I mean, we got we even got a bit of that from Lockie. Mm. Maybe it's just that we, we had some pre-existing knowledge of, of Lockie, which we didn't with uh, with Jimmy or Matt Agnew. Mm-hmm. Um, but I fucking forgot about how he was on Survivor when I was talking about celebrities, casting yeah. celebrities before. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree. So a tall order for production, perhaps. Like, you need to find an interesting lead step one. Mm. But I would argue that they pretty well did that with Jimmy this year. Like we've been assured that this was that, that Jimmy represents a man of high emotional intelligence. We have been told firsthand that he is extremely kind. Hmm. We need to work out how to let this emotionally articulate, hot, kind man come across as such on the television, you know, in mm. all likelihood that probably means producing the talent differently or finding different talent. My question is simply like, what do you need to do to make it apparent from episode one that the bachelor is the bachelor because he is, uh, well attainable, but also a bit like you. It's such an interesting question, and I think it's something that they have struggled with. We have been talking about this since our very first episode, I would say. Yeah, fully. Because, you know, one of the reasons... I mean, there was a number of reasons why we wanted to do this show, but one of the reasons was uh, Richie's season was beginning, and we had liked Richie, you know? Yeah. He was, he was a guy who seemed cool and a bit eccentric and idiosyncratic on the season with Sam Frost, where his personality came out, and... Um, you know, he had a weird sense of humor and he said things that you don't necessarily, you know, he was a guy you wouldn't necessarily meet saying things you wouldn't necessarily say. But when his season started, we were a little bit surprised by how some of those aspects weren't really presenting themselves. Right. And we speculated at the time that like he had gone to some kind of training school <laughs> or whatever. And they had like, you know, some school mom had uh, beaten the, the uh, enthusiasm the cool out, of him, out of him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, which I'm sure is not the case. And I'm sure, you know, there's a number of reasons, including just like getting nervous and there being a lot of pressure on you. And the fact that being the lead of this show, as much as it seems idyllic on some level of like, wouldn't it be crazy to live in a mansion and date a bunch of hot people? Mm. It's also like a, a, a torturous thing to put somebody through. Absolutely. To live in such an unnatural environment and to expect natural results out of it is in and of itself a massive fucking challenge. Right. And week after week, the lead is uh, breaking hearts, making people unhappy, torturing right, people, right. you know, and subjecting, also being subjected to all sorts of things that we're not aware of, um, physical challenges, mental challenges, uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all the while having to maintain like a stable sort of sense of identity. And, uh, you know, there's a reason <laughs> neither of us have done it, Max. Yeah. Fuck. It's no mean feat, you know, but I also want to say like, please trust your audience to be able to connect the dots when you are when you are presenting these men to the nation you know it is incredibly easy to infer drama and complexity from fallibility within the framework of a show like the bachelor mm. because if we believe in jimmy if we relate to him then the drama that they have done quite a good job of facilitating in the past few seasons 
matters so much more, right? Mm. Because all of a sudden it's not just like, whoa, these two people are in an argument. That's crazy. It's like, whoa, these two people are in an argument. That's crazy. And how would I respond if I were in his shoes? Because we're similar, you know? Yeah. Trust us. Trust your casting. Do whatever it takes to make this relationship. And by that, I mean the relationship between the viewer and the bachelor a relatable one on a human being level, basically, right? Yeah. Like, because yeah. they are an alien entity, they are inherently boring, you know? The mm. the thing that makes Third Rock from the Sun <laughs> so good is that this alien entity is experiencing human life for the first time, and it's ridiculous. Right. This is almost the opposite. This is a human being who we are putting into an unnatural environment and saying, now, don't fuck it up. You know, like, yeah. all eyes on you. I think yeah. we we want to see somebody who is unusually emotionally dexterous yes, as opposed yeah. to somebody who is unusually emotionally unwavering. You know? Yeah. Because yeah. I think a lot of the time the temptation is like, we need a stable lead to because there's going to be a lot of other crazy stuff happening. We need mm. like an anchor point. Mm. Um, we need something around which everything else will pivot. But I think that structurally that will happen no matter what. What you really need is somebody who is reactive and who uh, is in touch with how to handle these situations or if they don't handle the situations correctly, that that can be interesting as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the exact point, right? Mm. Like uh, Lockie is a fine anchor. Jimmy is a great anchor we saw when there was chaos with laura and the way that she wanted to get the kiss and then she didn't get the kiss and what was all that mm. he was incredible in yeah. that moment he yeah. reacted really really well it was so calming and and stable and if he is that show us more of that find us find us a way or run in the other direction and find the most like volatile fucko you can find <laughs> and let's just see what happens this brings to mind one of the points that um, has come up a fair bit. I think we talked about it a little bit last week. And Caitlin and Osh posting also mentioned it. So I'll read that post. Caitlin says, I want more Osha. He should have a confidant role like Taysha and Caitlin did on Katie's season of US Bachelor, mm -hmm. uh, of US Bachelorette. And he should be present on more of the group dates. So this is this is interesting. And we've talked about this a little bit in the sense that like there is an opportunity for this role to broaden out, which then makes The Bachelor or Bachelorette more interesting. Um, I think that the absence of Osha during the part of last season where he was in lockdown and couldn't be there should have scared the producers a little bit more. Because mm. I mm. think it went too smoothly. Yeah. I think the fact that a lot of people didn't really notice that he was gone or that they were able to make that transition happen and cover it up pretty well, probably meant that people at Channel 10, people at Warner Brothers were breathing a sigh of relief because mm. they went, oh, we didn't disrupt things too much. Um, when in actual fact, I think that's bad. Like I, I think that Osha not being there should be a problem or you know, yeah. failing, failing that, it should be somebody else who's the host or whatever. I mean, I don't want to replace Osher. I don't think Osher's the problem. Osher's great. Osher's great. We've we've always applauded his work on the show. I think he works really hard. I think he, it matters to him. Um, but I think that one of the ways that you can get the most out of your lead is to have Osher function in in. You're right. This confidant role. This like trusted 
figure who has seen this happen many times and who has coached a lot of other people through similar types of situations, mm. who has meaningful advice to share and who is going to be able to be there. You can, it can be fake. Like it doesn't really matter True. as long as you take that as an opportunity to show vulnerability from the lead who maybe is struggling over who to pick or is trying to work out the best way out of a situation or find out who's right about something or, you know, have, instead of having, sending in one of the contestants to say like, I heard so-and-so talking about you or whatever. Mm. And then he, you know, the lead has to send that person home, send in Osha Ginsburg, you know, have the lead have that conversation with Osha and say like, fuck, this is really, I mean, you know, this process is getting to me. Like you can use right. that as an opportunity to break a fourth wall and show aspects of the lead's personality that we don't normally get access to. A hundred percent. Look, I, and the thing about Osha in particular, and that makes him uniquely, I think, able to operate within those parameters, is that he is a man who has seen and done this for so long and happens to be in love, in touch, would be an excellent bachelor, you know? Right, right. Uh, but, but he, yeah, he is such an asset to the show because he is emotionally open and he's an interesting person, like way more so than Chris Harrison ever has been, right, you know, who, right. is, who is a company man, you know, um, mm. less said about him, the better in this, in this day and age. But like, you know, he, he, he has a similar advantage to Taysha and Caitlin, which is that they've been through the process. They have an understanding of how this thing works. They know what the struggles and stresses are. Mm. And they are good communicators in terms of helping the other person get through it. I think that's a good suggestion. More sage counsel from Osha. Uh, the next one that I would like to raise, uh, Charlotte has suggested minimum one dog per episode. So let me just quickly uh, play this clip from Evie as well. Okay, hear me out. The Bachelor, but it's dogs? That's a great point, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it ties into a lot of what we've been saying. <laughs> it could all be dogs. What if they just did a all, season yeah. that was dogs? People do like dogs. This is true. I think that the more dogs, the better. Uh, and um, the... Yeah, look, I, I, w I would love to watch a, a sweet boy woofing up. The enduring popularity of the Surf Dog Bachelor um, mm. clip from, junk, uh, from Punky, um, I think, stands to prove that it absolutely couldn't hurt. We have a long history of good dog shit <laughs> on this show, and uh, <laughs> long may it rain. I agree. Heather says, does Australia need fantasy suites? This is another great question. Um, and I think this, maybe we should use this to spring into like talking about the structure of the show and the mm -hmm. dates and the mm -hmm. things that happen within it. Mm -hmm. um, I do feel like the Australian Bachelor and Bachelorette is very rigid and sort of formalized in terms uh -huh. of its structure in a way that can feel a bit restrictive and makes the repetitive elements feel especially cloying. I think that, um, you know, The Bachelor itself has a structure built into it, which I think is fine. And, you know, it would feel less like The Bachelor if we were to change too many of those things. So while I was entertaining the prospect of like, you know, we don't necessarily like hometowns that much, maybe get rid of hometowns. I don't think that's necessarily a solution. I, I think, think I have a solution for hometowns. Oh, oh really? Okay. Should Are we talk about that now? Le yeah. Leap into it. Yeah. Okay. Dinner party. So that happens a fair bit already. I don't know if you've 
It sure that. does. Yeah. Let's bring all of the families together <laughs> for a dinner party. A bit of a bull banquet? A bull ba- Do you know what I mean, though? Like, mm. we have, instead of hometowns, we fly everyone in from the hometowns. Mm. We That's get Jimmy with the families or the bachelor, bachelorette with the families for some of the episode. We meet the families one on one, one on one, one on one, one on one. Then we all get together at dinner and we hash our shit out. That's very spicy. I kind of like it. I think that that's a solution for that. Like, so one of the common criticisms that we might have is that they have this guard dog character Mm -hmm. every year who is the typically father figure who is um, there to make sure that no one's going to fuck with my son or daughter, you know? Right. And this is, I guess, what we're talking about in terms of like the formal structure in that you know, they have to have hometowns. And so they have to, it, it is a, what I would consider to be an absolute nightmare as far as production is concerned. They have to go mm-hmm. to a new place, set up fucking cameras and, and uh, you know, more than that, they have to figure out within a pretty short window of time what the plot of this chunk is going to be. Right, right. You know, on something like a group date, they can shoot all day. Mm-hmm. And if nothing happens, they can skip through most of it. Um, they still, I mean, I have my problems with group dates as well. Um we will also talk about that later, but um, yeah, I, th- I think like the fact that something bad has to happen, so therefore they make something bad happen by raising, you know, picking mm-hmm. somebody to be this guard dog character, um, having, you know, giving them one or two things to be concerned about if they didn't already have enough. Um, it just means that every time we watch this episode, it plays out basically exactly the same way. That's it, right? Now, imagine if you had four guard dogs together in the same room. Right. I like dogs that. barking. And do you know what? This satisfies Charlotte's point and Evie's point about having minimum one dog per episode. We could, ha- <laughs> we could up the quota. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Look, uh, you're absolutely right in that the way that the show plays to its formula is limiting. And maybe, you know, it is even just reconceptualizing um, hometowns to families. Yeah. Because we have seen in the last season in particular, families really work. Like, meeting Jimmy's mom, mm. meeting Jimmy's sister and cousin. That was great TV. And it raises the stakes, obviously, because mm-hmm. as as we know... And it, it also reframes how weird The Bachelor or Bachelorette is as a uh-huh. thing. Uh-huh. In the sense that, like, when you watch a lot of seasons of this show, you don't even really think about the fact that, like, this is one guy who's dating 25 people or whatever. Right. In the same way that a first-time viewer watches this and goes, like, hang on a sec, do they all have to... Wait, wait. (laughs) You know, like... Whose spit is in whose mouth right now? Right. Those questions go away after a little while, but if you integrate more people who are not within the closed walls of the mansion and, you know, the the integrated world of The Bachelor, then you have more eyebrows being raised, Mm -hmm. which reminds you that, oh, yeah, this is... This is every bit as crazy. I don't know if it's every bit as crazy as Married at First Sight, but like, there's no reason that this should f- completely pale in comparison. I agree in terms of the drama and the stakes that have been created. Let's yeah. talk about now. I, I do want to get to the question of fantasy suites, but I think mm. that in order to well, get let, there, we can talk about the structure and the dates for an hour. You know, like yeah. there, there's a lot to pull apart here. Yeah. Look, I want to talk to you about group dates and single dates in particular. What yeah. are your thoughts? Yeah. So, you know, I think part of the reason that, um, well, let's, let's actually address what Caitlin said in Osh posting, which I think is a sentiment that we've seen a lot of across the board. Caitlin says, 
I get that the flashy boat dates and the like are aspirational, but I want more regular life stuff. Watching movies, playing board games, not just some heart-pounding activity and then a few minutes chatting and pashing on a couch. Mm-hmm. Now, I agree, um, but I think part of the reason that that sucks to watch isn't necessarily that those things aren't or can't be interesting. Mm-hmm. But I think it is because the beats are played out exactly the same way every time. Like, is it is it possible that let let's take the group date? There's there's basically every season has like a sport group date, right? Yes. Is it possible that every single one of those is exactly the same level of interesting every single time, and is also the same level of interesting as the other group dates that take place within a season? I would argue that that cannot be the case, and that sometimes something happens on a group date, and sometimes nothing really happens on a group date. Mm. I think we only ever really get to see what happens on that date for like five, ten minutes, maybe. And sometimes that five, ten minutes feels like it takes an hour. (laughs) And sometimes that five, ten minutes goes by in the blink of an eye because there's interesting events happening. I wish there was more structural flexibility. Like, has there ever been a group date that was so interesting, something happened that was so crazy that they had to like blow it out to twice the length totally throwing off the axle of the show and if not why not i would be curious i mean i'm not saying that group dates shouldn't happen by any means because there are things that are foundational to the exercise of doing the bachelor that can't change it is part of what the show is it's in the dna Mm -hmm. but the i'm I'm comparing this with the american season of the bachelor and in fact i am starting a bigger (laughs) i'm starting i'm starting my biggest um topic here okay which is episode length and the the formal structure of the thing and the fact that the Australian version of this show does not give enough oxygen to its moments that are more interesting than other moments. I think we, you know, it, you, recent US seasons of the show have had this trope almost too much, but I think there is a balance to be found where sometimes we get left on a cliffhanger or... You know, we we have to have the rose ceremony next time because so much was happening in this week's episode. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think you also see that in single dates, which I have a feeling we will talk about in a second. Um, But I think the the rigidity of the structure that comes with being about an hour long, sometimes an hour and a half, and airing two episodes a week, uh, I think is damaging. And I think that this is one of the harder rocks to push up the hill in terms of changing because this is based on how Channel 10 plans their entire slate. Mm-hmm. This is to do with how the Australian TV landscape differs from the American one. But the American series of the show, you know, we, we, it, may not, it, it may not be uh, possible to, to live up to this, but it is appointment TV it happens once a week and it is long and you don't really know what's going to happen every time you tune in because maybe a single date, they get into a conversation about something that's really interesting. And so we sit with that conversation and it breathes for 15 minutes or maybe we barely see it because it was more interesting what was happening back at the mansion at the time. Mm. I think These are really good thoughts. Mm, I think um, the the way that the flow of the show you know, there's an argument for the f- sense of familiarity that you get where every episode you tune in, they're sitting around the mansion for a few minutes and then somebody comes in with a group day cut. You know, all these things happen and should happen, but the the way that epi- every episode, when you go back and watch them, feels the same. It's structured the exact same way. Yeah. yeah. 
and you know, uh, it is, it is, uh, there is an industry that pumps these things out, right? And mm-hmm. it is, I'm sure, much easier to create this show in a way that feels somewhat predictable and, you know, works around the same general spine mm-hmm. from episode to episode. But I think that leads to the things that happen frequently, like the boat date or the sport date or whatever you want to call out, that makes those things feel even more predictable because like even within the context of the boat date, there's a chunk of the boat date where they're on the boat and then they go diving into the water together. And then there's the big shot of, you know, like it makes you realize how many of these things are happening time and time again. When in actual fact, you don't have to be thinking about that if they present Mm -hmm. it in a more interesting way. The, the thing that I'm thinking about is Holly and Jimmy in the driveway of her hometown. Mm. Imagine it to be continued. Right. Yeah. There's no reason not to. Right. Um, So, or or imagine the um, scandal where Steph called Holly the word this season. Sure. Right. Yeah. Why did we have to resolve that before the rose ceremony? Yeah. Why did that have to have a neat little bow tied around it before the rose ceremony happened? And then we never talk about it again. Or sometimes the rose ceremony itself is used as the resolution in terms of like, oh, I guess that person went home and that's because of what got said or what this thing was or whatever. That's, that's fine. And Mm -hmm. that works for an evening of television and maybe it'll give people a good sense of satisfaction or whatever. But Mm -hmm. in terms of like creating something that will get people on the edge of their seat and presumably get people talking and speculating and yeah, all this kind of stuff. It is weird whenever it happens because it has happened a couple of times. I think like when we had two bachelorettes last year, um, hometowns were split across two weeks Mm. And that felt weird, but it was because it, there were no dramatic stakes leading over from one to the other. It was more just like, oh yeah, we haven't finished doing all the uh, structure. Meeting yet. eight men's families. Right, right. Um, but yeah, this is this is my larger overarching thought, which is arguably the hardest change to enact because it feels very foundational and from the ground level up. Um, and also would mean that they have to shuffle around, like, you know, put MasterChef on for another night per week or whatever it is. Um, but I think, well, there, there are numerous ways that they could approach this. It doesn't necessarily have to be like one big, long episode of Bachelor per week. That Mm. wouldn't necessarily solve all of the problems. You can split it out into two every week. I think you can still retain the episodic structure, Mm. um, and, and still change the, change what happens within it, the structure within the structure. Yeah. Even, like, use the fact that there are two episodes per week to their advantage. But I think um, this, would, this would require a bit of an overhaul, you know? Mm. This would require everybody who works for the show um, approaching it differently. So I don't know if this is achievable whilst it's in its current form, necessarily. I don't know. I would like to think that it is in the way that we have seen progression from the editors... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it, who are clearly shown to be more willing to have fun with yep. it in the recent seasons. When it comes to the way that we produce a television show, that's where the reshuffling probably has to occur. Mm. But it all, like, I think that creative storytelling within is firmly within the capabilities of the edit. Mm. Thinking about these, like, bigger structural changes within the context of the oft-raised possibility that this show might not be on the air next year or in 2023 or whenever makes me 
feel like that is not necessarily that big of a deal or that much of a bad thing. As much as I want this show to keep happening forever and there to be always new things for me to come on the podcast and talk about and analyze and discuss with my friends, I do feel like um, if there is an argument for taking a year off and reshuffling some things and, you know, making a few structural changes and thinking about the show in a new way, it's the type of thing that I wonder, like, if it was sold to a new network or something, like, they would be thinking about, they, they would be having these kinds of conversations or whatever. It's the mm. same kind of situation that they might put themselves in by going, okay, um, that has been chapter one of The Bachelor Australia. Let's now rethink. Let's look at what is working overseas. Let's look at what is working for other shows in that same uh, world. And let's see if we can't bring those successful elements in here. So I don't necessarily think that taking time off from the show... Like, we've seen a lot of successful product relaunches in the reality TV space in Australia. Mm. MasterChef was away for a few years and then came back. Big Brother was away for a few years and came back. Um, Farmer. Farmer. Survivor? Survivor, I mean, took a 16-year hiatus and then, yes, came back. (laughs) But was there Survivor Australia? Yeah, it was in 2002, right. and then it came back in 2017 or something like that. Right, okay. Um, maybe slightly less of a good example. I don't necessarily <laughs> want a 16-year gap, but... Um, yeah, I think I think it would not necessarily be the end of the world, and um, in my most cynical moments, I'm like, maybe they should. Like, I think that, you know, if the ratings tank and uh, nobody watches this season of Bachelorette, which I sincerely do not hope... Um, there would be an upside to it. I also, I mean, we, we will have to talk about Brooke at length later and the upcoming season of Bachelorette. I'm curious about what lessons they will learn from it in terms of like, because that series feels like it's trying some new things or taking a bit of an exploratory, shouldn't feel that way, but it does. Um, I hope that if it is successful, they learn the right lessons from it. And if it is unsuccessful, they refuse to run, learn the wrong lessons from it. Yeah. But we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. We do have a voicemail now from uh, past and future guest of the show, Katie Kendall. Yes, let's do it. So she says, I'm sorry, this is five minutes long and maybe just a ramble. Feel free to cut it down as much as needed. So we'll Great. just... Hello, loves. Uh, this is Katie Kendall, a uh, friend of the podcast, past guest of the podcast, uh, all-round super fan of the podcast, and of course... Gigantic Zave head, although I do love you too, Max. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about how we could begin to try and save this failing show. Uh, Zave and I talk about this a lot. Uh, I think for me, I've been thinking about it in this last week after the show's been done. And I think we live in Australian reality TV and especially in romance-based Australian reality TV uh, in this kind of post-maths world where like married at first sight has redefined our interest in romance in being interested in watching people who are ultimately incompatible try to date each other and it's almost like the bachelor has clung on to that and a desire to create drama and a desire to create like tension both within the show but also as the show's like primary function To the point that, like, I don't feel invested in any of the romances because I don't feel like I know any of the people because the show isn't trying to develop characters. It's trying to develop conflicts. And 
that works for a show like Married at First Sight because Married at First Sight doesn't claim to have an earnest premise, whereas The Bachelor is supposed to be an earnest love story. And I think they've forgotten that that actually works really well. Like, I don't know, Georgia Love, Maddie J, even Matt Agnew to an extent, although I think that's mostly because of Abby Chatfield. Like, those seasons were compelling and you were interested in them and you were interested in the characters that they created because they didn't feel like characters. They felt like people. Whereas, I don't know, I couldn't tell you anyone who felt multi-dimensional from Jimmy's season except I think Brooke because she was allowed to like express her feelings in a way no one else really did and so we didn't really get to know anyone else at their core the show can either get off the fence and pull the splinters out of its fucking asshole and try and get its shit together and go full-fledged into the drama or they can do what I'd like to see them do, which I don't actually think is what's going to happen. But they can try and dial it back in the direction of romance. And they can try and show us, like, fucking ten people, because that's all you're ever really going to get to know, for who they are, for what they want from a relationship, outside of the generic, I would like to get married and have children. And, and show me people genuinely falling in love and how... The interesting thing about love is that you could fall in love with almost anyone, but ultimately there's always someone that breaks through. And that's what I think the gift of The Bachelor is. I think they've forgotten that that's why the premise has always worked is because that is interesting. Finding the person that you are actually want to be with versus all the people you could potentially be with. Like that's, that's where the money is and they just don't, seem to remember that anymore they seem to want to create tension and drama and incompatibility and then have the most lukewarm connection that didn't fail at any point drift to the top I just think the bachelor can't decide where it fits in the landscape and it needs to make a decision with decisiveness rather than sort of muddling around dude get down from there sorry my cat is being an asshole um muddling around in the middle and not having any sort of uh, goal to to know what it's about and know what kind of product it's trying to make. And it's just wishy-washy and boring to watch. Again, I love you both. I really love this season of the pod. I think despite it being a really, really boring season of the show, you guys put such a good show together with so many great guests. Um, And yeah, just keep doing it. Even if they cancel The Bachelor, just start doing the US one or something. I love you both. Okay, bye. I don't know that there's too much more that needs to be said, to be honest. Yeah, I think it's I think it's totally true. I think Katie is, um, I mean, funnily enough, we, we kind of said some of those things earlier. Um, I don't, I don't want to feel like we're uh, stealing words out of her mouth or, or anything, but um, yeah, I think it's totally true. Um, I guess I, I'm watching the US show a lot right now. Mm-hmm. And we will be talking a bit more about the early days of the U.S. show on our podcast over the next few weeks. Um, but I think the U.S. show is in a, in a, a really interesting position right now where it is coming to grips with the fact that it is kind of both. You know, we're talking about this like uh, this fork in the road that we're at right now where on one side it is crazy pants, um, fake, um, everybody's just there for Instagram followers, you know. Uh, and we're, it's all just a wacky good time, but also it is 
like, you know, people are taking it more seriously than ever, I think. People who go on the show and people who don't go on the show, like the audience. And I think that somehow it is finding a balance that is really enjoyable. Um, there was an episode of Bachelor in Paradise that aired earlier this week, which was Bachelor in Paradise US, which was absolutely fascinating. Truly one of the more interesting moments in Bachelor history that I can think of. I mean, it's very easy to say that, I guess, but like um, people, um, to give a little context, there are, there are two couples on the beach right now who had an existing relationship prior to going on the show. And that's something that we saw a little bit of in our version of Bachelor of Paradise as well. It seems to be like a pretty um, healthy soil to grow a um, Bachelor in Paradise narrative from. But what we are seeing is a reaction from the other people on sand and also the people in the audience that that is unacceptable. Hmm. In, in, but it's, it's, it's really interesting because on one hand, you are seeing people actively discussing that this is a part of the show and this is part of the reason that they came there. They're talking very openly about how, um, you know, it will look good for them and they will get sponsorship deals from their Instagram followers and the kind of stuff that we're talking about all through the season, you know, the, the, uh, facade is breaking down in a way, or it's, you know, if, if it was ever really there, then it is becoming part, it is becoming so intertwined with the actual narrative of the show. Mm. Um, Obviously, Bachelor in Paradise is a bit more fourth wall breaking than the actual Bachelor, um, which is part of the reason why I think they should still have it. But anyway, um, but they are still able to uh, believably create a narrative in which the meaningful connections of pe between people are like good and feel mm. nice and you mm. want to explore the romantic side of things whilst also meaningfully engaging with this side of the experience of The Bachelor that in Australia, evidently, they don't want to acknowledge yet. Yeah. And I feel like part of the reason that that's able to happen is because the US series of The Bachelor has evolved and iterated on itself season after season because people are being recycled back into it. And you have this like little nucleus around which, you know, different things are, are, are swirling. Um, in a way that we don't really do in Australia. But it means that you can watch an episode of Bachelor in Paradise where there's a really nice date between two people who are spending time to get to know one another and exploring what their connection is like and having plenty of time to just kind of sit down and have a conversation. And then you can also have... And the other interesting thing about this, this Instagram blow-up is that fans have responded really strongly so there is there, there was a confrontation on this episode. I guess I'm spoiling it. I hope people... Yeah, I'm not going to name who it is, so you can still watch it. But um, fans have responded in the sense that this couple who had a relationship prior to going on the show and were found out, you know, for, for breaking the... You know, not being there for the right reasons or whatever you want right. to call it. Fans have stopped following these people on Instagram in huge <laughs> numbers. Punishing and them. Yeah, and it is a, it's a punishment, and it like influences their, um, so to speak, uh, their future career prospects and their mm. income, and mm. you know, it is such an interesting element of the drama that takes place both within and outside of the show. Um, I feel like there's a lot of lessons to be learned from that in terms of like creating an environment in which both things can happen, where 
we understand that the concept of The Bachelor is inherently bug nuts. It is so fucking crazy. Yeah. And also the fact that it has been on the air for decades, at least in America, and is still working and connecting with people because there are also emotional moments of truth that we can get our hooks into. So I think there's a hundred lessons you could learn from that. And I don't Mm. know if all of them will apply here. Part of it is just that there are so many more people in America and a lot of them are already invested. So it's like, we can't just magically create that overnight here. Um, But it does give me a lot of hope for um, a world in which the Australian bachelor can have that similar growth over time. I think that they have had opportunities to to do it, Tim and Kieran, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. strike me as two such characters who we fell in love with in their seasons um, with Angie Kent, and then obviously Paradise happened, and that's that is what it is. Yeah, but uh, the opportunity to now draw the through line: where's the redemptive arc? Who are the people? Why aren't we talking about uh, Jared Woodgate and and Sam, who mm. are together now as a bachelor love story that we you know. True. Happened off screen. Yeah. Uh, Reintroduce the. This is what we were talking about earlier in terms of cross pollination. Yeah. And and building on the history of the show, because I think that is such a meaningful reason. Like the only reason that you should have a long running show like this, and the, the the one advantage structurally, foundationally, that being a long running show gives you mm. is you have history to play with. Mm. And you know, obviously, Paradise was off the air for a number of reasons this year, including the novel coronavirus COVID nineteen, which we would encourage all of our listeners to become vaccinated against, <laughs> uh, if possible, where possible. It, it is possible. You should go do it. Do it. Um, but I think like. I don't know. There are there are dozens of different ways that they can introduce that back into the like okay, let's talk about let's talk about something else that has been missing from this show. After the final rose and the women and men tell all specials, mm-hmm. which have been trialed a little bit, I think, in Australia. Um yeah. maybe to different levels of success. After Paradise was great. After Paradise was great. Um there were women slash mental alls in the first two seasons. Um I think maybe the shift from uh, is it Fremantle Media? Who was doing it first? Shine, maybe. Oh yeah, it would have been Endemol, Endemol Shine, maybe. I, I should know this. Fuck, I don't know. The shift to Warner Brothers, I think, made them streamline some of these efforts. Um, Warner Brothers have produced the show f- since like season five, maybe. I forget. Something like that. Um, but I think that after the final rose and women and Mel t- men tell alls offer a really great opportunity to. Uh, for, well, offer a number of great opportunities. Firstly, we can get to know these people without the hyper-edited style of the show, and we can allow them to sort of speak for themselves in a way. Um, you can still edit it as much as you want, but it creates that illusion that these things are really happening. Mm-hmm. And then also, we get the opportunity to check back in with people after the fact so that there is more opportunity for narrative progression and resolution. We're continuing the story. Right, and it helps to bridge the gap that takes place every year that where we don't do any podcasts usually. Right. Right. And it just feels like the bachelor doesn't exist for a long time. Yeah. I feel like that is, is so true. And those developments in that world, I'm going to draw a sport comparison. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just do a warning listeners. We're about to talk about sports. Skip ahead 30 seconds. If you don't want a spoiler on sports. They talk about the NBA and they talk about the NFL as year round sports that Mm. only run for three months a year. Hmm. 
that's what The Bachelor should be. And in the US, I think it is like that, you yeah, know? Yeah. Uh, this is a show that is on television for veritably mm, 10, 12 weeks out of 52. Yeah. The other fucking 40 weeks, wh- where where's the narrative? Where's the story? How do we follow it through? Right. Um, there needs to be some amount of cultivation of story in the off season and we don't just put it to bed and come back mm. when when it is convenient. Yeah, and I think um, that is a big part of the reason why people are so drawn to Instagram and to following these people mm. um, is that they want to know what is happening in the time that they're not on TV. Yep. So you have this parasocial relationship that forms, but that stuff can be so meaningfully reinforced with more TV content, with more Bachelor content, whether that be... I mean, you know, maybe you don't have a budget to make a whole new season of the show where everyone's just hanging out. I don't necessarily know exactly what we're talking about here, but, like, check-ins and... Um, yeah, we're do spinning a fucking up someone 10 play to exclusive. be a fucking social producer. Right, exactly. Basically. Totally. And to reach out and be like, uh, hey, Alicia and Glenn, what's up? Tell us about what your life is. is Give us an like. update. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think the, the things like After the Final Rose and Women or Men Tell All... The, there's a structure already in place for those. There's absolutely no reason, as far as I'm concerned, to set those things up. Mm-hmm. Osha has tweeted about this because he is enthusiastic about the prospect of doing them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he has said that he pushes for it every year, but 10 has shot it down. I feel like even if they don't want to put it on TV, this would be prime exclusive content for 10 play mm-hmm. or for Paramount plus or whoever. If like, if they don't want to set aside programming time for it, yeah, and then how expensive can it be to produce? Really, put a people you're flying put a bunch people of people in Sydney. You're putting a bunch of people in uh, hotels. Fine, but realistically, you're gonna see that pay off though. Yeah, even if that many people don't necessarily watch that, it, those people are the people who are going to watch the next season, who are yeah. going to keep talking about it, who are going to keep the Bachelor and Bachelorette as part of the wider cultural conversation. Right, right, and you're it continuing also the dialogue. If they want to do exclusive 10 play stuff or Paramount Plus stuff or whatever, that then pushes more eyeballs onto the site where all of the past seasons live that encourages people to go like, oh, what was his deal? Or, you know, yeah. how, you know, they, they, I'm going to watch their first episode. Why was now. he going to piss his pants? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So I think all this stuff is advantageous to them. Do we want another, do we want what another EV clip? Yeah. Uh, can we just burn them all in one, in one Sure. Hit? Let's do one hit. All right. Um, well, well, let's. We won't burn them all necessarily, in case any of them are actually provoking a lot of interesting thought. But okay, it's time for another voicemail. I think it would be actually really good if they had Lil John as the host. <laughs> so Lil John, <laughs> yeah. What Amy is referring to here is that Lil John is the announcer for Bachelor in Paradise US this season. That's incredible. And Lil so John is so fucking good. He's fucking great. He has not appeared on screen yet, although I think he is coming. But what we are getting at the start of every episode is like, Tonight, I'm Bachelor in Paradise. He's so good. It's great. It's an incredible yeah. uh, mood setter um, mm. <laughs> for, the, for that show. So, yeah. I mean, if he's free, let's do it. Here's another one. I think that there should be hidden immunity idols throughout the <laughs> Bachelor Nation. <laughs> This I love. Okay, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. Let's let's engage with this because this is a great joke. But also, like, um, oh, God, somebody had a point about this, in fact, that was like, 
We got a comment a little similar to this from Salima, who's a listener and a member of the BOH OSH posting group on Facebook, who said, Bachelor dating games. People can win date, date cards with trivia and activities. And I kind of like the idea. I think one thing that we've noticed as a bit of an issue um, with recent seasons and the lack of OSHA is that date cards just kind of appear or we don't even worry about the date cards at all. Mm-hmm. And I think there is, there's a kernel of a great idea here in the sense that like, um, it seems so arbitrary and it seems so just producer chosen, like who is getting each date at any point or whatever. Mm. But I think that the logic by which extra time is handed out at the end of group dates may as well apply elsewhere. Hey, I think that's not, not a bad shout. Like, or at least, I mean, the, the, the real kernel of the idea is that, like, it should make sense who is getting the next date, I think. Like, we should go, oh, yeah, like, you know, Jimmy has really been getting along with Steph or whoever. Like, right. they, ha- they had a fun conversation at the previous cocktail party. It makes sense that he wanted to pick her next, which a lot of the time we see and I think is, is good. Like, it creates a good sense of narrative flow. But I think... Hidden immunity, hidden immunity idol or not. Um, although that actually really makes me laugh. I think that would be really fun. Can you imagine? Maybe like, they should she's just getting be sent one. home and she whips. What, like it's a really good idea in the in the same way that the key to the batch pad is a really good idea. Exactly. Yeah. The the first impression rose or whatever. There should be one hidden somewhere because then also that's just something you can check back in on now and then. Imagine it's like back at the mansion. Yeah. Like people are just sneaking around. It's another Searching. thing that we can see. Oh. Because we see so much of these like staged like reality settings where people are sitting around at the mansion and having a conversation or they're tanning mm. by the pool and having a chat or whatever. Um, but the tension of someone being missing for a while, you see right. this on Survivor all the time. It's just like, Absolutely. oh, it's have, you seen, have you seen um, Darren or whatever? It's like, no, and I haven't seen Darren for a while. Yeah. And yeah. he's like rooting through the bushes or something. Mm. I think it's this good. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. I would, uh, whatever mechanic the show has to be able to explore the idea of, um, like this is a hidden advantage in the game and it's hidden inside the house and, and bang, go, let's do it. Because here's the thing that doesn't break the fundament, the the foundational rules of the show in any way. No. In the sense that like, if you are not, I, I feel like that raises the stakes in such an interesting way because one of the audiences that you want to play towards when you're a contestant on the show is the other women. Mm-hmm. or the other men or whatever, mm. the other contestants, you know, you need to be in good standing with those people um, so that when a rumor comes up about you or whatever, people are more likely to take your side or, you know, I've never heard a bad word about X. So therefore Y has to go home or whatever. Right. Right. So you are endangering that by spending too much of your time trying to find this hidden immunity idol, <laughs> but you are doing the right thing in the eyes of the batchy if right. you are spending a lot of time looking for it because it will give you a leg up. Right, right. It's sort of like how how do you invest your time in the mansion right. and you're already in a competition for this man's time. So what have you got to lose? There's a lot of interesting stuff there. I want to move on to the next one. Yes, okay. Hey, it's Evie, girlfriend of the pod. I just think that um, instead of giving out roses... Instead, every woman or person should hold a balloon and he has to go around and <laughs> pop the balloon of the woman who goes home. Good idea. Great I idea. I have no reason to say no to that. That's wonderful. Dramatic stakes. Very One symbolic. more. Give me another. Yeah. Okay, let's hit it. 
Hey, this is Evie. I just feel like The Bachelor has been lacking a lot in the Go Fish department. Mm. I think that it's a really fun game and I think that there needs to be more representation of Go Fish on um, network television. Yeah, I mean, I obviously, we right. could, yeah, we've got a lot of boat dates, so it's going to go hand in hand, you know? This is, um, yeah, I mean, this is uh, an obvious, it's, it's low-hanging fish, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it certainly is. Let's have another one. Instead of the bachelor, there should be the flapchula, and it's a bird. <laughs> we talked about dogs before. This might be even better. Yeah, it's true. There's, I mean, there's a lot of good ideas yeah. uh, that we that we really are burning through here. Yeah, absolutely. It feels bad that we're not discussing these at length. But, um, <laughs> I just think that they exist unto themselves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, we're handing them these out, these out for free. There's going to be there's going to be <laughs> ten new dating shows on Channel Ten next year with all these great ideas. This is true. So you're welcome, Network Ten. I think it would be really interesting that instead of um, all the women living in a mansion, they are on. A deserted island with monkeys and little tree houses, and um, they have to go fishing every morning to catch their food. And it'd be really cute and a good communal kind of vibe. <laughs> I agree. I kind of like, look the idea of the haves and the have-nots is something that they played with a lot in Big Brother over the years. Mm. This is pretty good. Like uh, um, you, if you, for example, are in the top five, if you're one of the first five women announced, mm-hmm. you stay in the mansion. Right. If you are one of the last half of the women announced, you're off to the island. Or you have, like they have in Survivor, where, you know, maybe everybody maybe everybody in the cast is living on an island, as Evie suggested. But mm. then if you compete particularly well in a group date or in a single date or whatever, you can win a treat. You know, what is it called? The reward challenge? Yeah, the reward challenge. Yeah. So instead of, you know, maybe you get to choose. Like, would you like a rose or would you like a big bucket of KFC or whatever? You know? Yeah. Big, great big Melbourne Starbucks. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. A lot of good ideas, I think. What's up, guys? Xavier here. I realized after recording that we forgot to discuss the Instagram gains from season nine on this episode. Um, luckily nobody really seems to say anything or laugh or anything like that when I'm reporting them. So I decided I would just kind of jump in and record them on my own. Um, who is going to stop me? I think this will probably be the last time we talk about these unless we're given like a really good reason to bring them up again now that the season is over. But here's a little like end, you know, cap off, uh, for anybody who is interested. In the week following the finale, Holly Kingston continued to be the big earner on Instagram, racking up a staggering 10,999 new followers in this week alone. Behind her, interestingly enough, was fourth place finisher Carly Hodges, who continues to attract public support for her untarnished edit, earning 1,747 followers as she regains control of her Instagram page. In third place this week was runner-up Brooke Cleal with 1,617 new followers. And our lead, Jimmy Nicholson, continues his rapid ascent post-finale with an additional 8,938 new followers. There's good news to report for fans of the pretty cool and handsome host, Osher Ginsberg. The broadcasting professional has grappled with declining followers throughout the season but after the finale has managed the impressive feat of making up the difference. This week, he saw another 189 new followers join his ranks, 
meaning that his overall gain since preseason now stands at 15 new followers. Good on you, Osher Ginsburg. We knew you had it in you. Elsewhere in overall gains, you just can't slow down Holly Kingston, who has gained 73,756 new followers since preseason. And I was staggered to find out that second place overall this week at the time that I recorded these stats was a tie between Carly and Brooke, both of whom have earned themselves exactly 16,126 followers since July 20th. They are both hovering around that number uh, as of now. And as for the pilot, without whom none of these women's Instagram pages would reach their destinations... Jimmy Nicholson has booked in a healthy total of 53,396 new followers overall, which, if they were Qantas frequent flyer points, would be enough to get you a Melbourne to Brisbane return flight in business class. Back to you, Max and Xavi. Well, Xavi. Well, Maxie. I we think solved we've it. solved it. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> So, um, when The Bachelor is on the air again next year, and the year following that, and the year following that, yada yada, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. can thank us. Absolutely. And uh, Channel 10, you can thank us in the way of an executive producer credit. Yeah, or honestly, if you just want to send us a check, that works too. That's also fine. Anything, Frankly, uh, if you just want to... You know how when you're watching Bachelor, sometimes they'll have an ad for um, the official Bachelor podcast hosted by Osha and Alicia called the Cocktails and Roses podcast. Mm-hmm. I have been thinking, how much could it cost to get an ad? $100,000, I reckon. A hundred grand? I, I, don't mean, rec- I don't mean to get an ad made. Like, because oh. I'll do it. I'll make it. <laughs> I, can do it I can do it in 10 minutes. Do you want to hear okay. my idea? Yeah, okay. Okay, Bachelor of Hearts artwork. Mm-hmm. Still image. And then yep. it's me, and I'm going, please give us a listen, won't you? <laughs> Have a go. Give it one try. Because the thing is, I watch a lot of TV these days, and I'm seeing ads, and they are never actually just asking please. Okay. So I think we could really cut through. If, if it was me, and I was doing it probably in that voice where I'm going like, please just give it a try. You can find it on your phone. <laughs> it doesn't have to be long. You know, it could be 15 seconds. Yeah. Ma- so you know what? Okay, okay. Slightly more upmarket. Back tr- backdrop is the Bachelor of Hearts official artwork as drawn by Evie Hillier. Green screen. I walk on screen. I stare right down the barrel of the lens and I say, come on, give it a go. Oh, I like that. Don't you reckon it's worth a try? And we advertise it right in the middle of... Look, I would love to get it placed within the finale, but if it's cheaper to go any other week of The Bachelor, I'll I'm do sure that. I'm sure it is. Yeah, yeah, I imagine it is. So, like, give me the dud week. Give me, like, you know, halfway through, middle of a sport group date that nobody's fucking looking at their screen. Maybe they left the sound on when they went to the kitchen to finish, you know, tidying up after dinner, and they just hear my sweet little voice going, pretty please. <laughs> That's money in the bank. And by that, I mean, we don't make any money for this podcast. Okay. I have some information from the US. Okay. Okay. Now, a 30-second spot for The Bachelor in the US. That is a substantially different prospect on the US show versus ours, but go on. $139,000. See, that's not... I mean, look, I don't have anywhere near that amount of money. (laughs) But I'm like... 
would it, you know, how hard could it be? Is, so You're that's right. for one spot or is that for like rotation for a week or whatever? I don't know. Yeah. Um, I'm going to just go channel 10 advertising. Let's see. Why 10? Advertise with 10. Okay. Oh, what if we bought ad space on the Cocktails and Roses podcast? Because <laughs> they have ads. <laughs> That's or quite funny. 10 Play? Yeah. It's got to be a bit cheaper. Yep. Um, where's the price? Well, it is not listed on here, as far as I can tell. It's very hard to get a barometer of. Hmm. Do we have to send some emails? I think we do. Rate. Well, that's frame rate, bit rate. I'm getting nothing. I'm getting a fat lot of nothing. Me too. Okay, Xavier, I found something. Okay, go on. According to the repudiated website, business.localsearch.com.au. Mm -hmm. You've been there before. Yeah. The course. average that's cost of a TV ad in Australia can range from a couple of thousand dollars to millions of dollars for 15 to 40 seconds of advertising. Millions? We solved it. Okay, so it's somewhere in that, yeah, okay. Somewhere in that range of a couple thousand to millions. Yeah, okay, great. Well, we should be able to figure that out. Yeah, I'll be fine. Yeah, we'll start a Patreon. We'll, we'll <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, uh, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Bachelor of Hearts podcast. We will indeed be back next week with the beginning of a new series called The Bachelor of Hearts Presents Ancient History, where we will be watching the first season of The American Bachelor, breaking it all down, presenting it back to you as the, as the good old boys that we are. That's right. As of now, you can find and watch and enjoy this beautiful slightly aged program from 2002 <laughs> look there are ways that you can find the show on uh online if you want to watch it and join along with us uh please start with episode one i would say that's a good spot to start uh, absolutely bachelorarchive.com does a uh, uh has a great resource there for you mm -hmm. if you uh, i think in I certain parts of the world it is start. yeah in certain parts of the world it is available elsewhere but also when you listen to this podcast it might be years from now so, you know, like it was on Netflix a little while ago. I think maybe it's mm -hmm. on 2B TV. Um, but have a look around. You will find it. If you're having any trouble, maybe get in contact with us. We'll help you out. Um, but I hope you guys will join us for that because it is, if you have enjoyed this episode and the one previous, um, we are thinking so much about like the history of this show and where it has come from and where it is now and where it's going. There is, I've watched these episodes and Max hasn't. So I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic. There is a lot to be learned from the early days of this show. If I can like pre-sell you on it a little bit. Please. Um, 2002 was a very different time in terms of reality TV, in terms mm -hmm. of the culture. Um, and one fascinating thing about the show in 2002 versus where it is now is that these days there are plenty of reasons to go on The Bachelor. You know, even if you're only there for a week, you will get an uptick in your Bachelor Instagram followers. Mm -hmm. You will get, you know, you will get some attention. You will get some people talking about you, that kind of thing. Some of those things were true in 2002. Some of those things were not true. When this show began, there was no Bachelorette. There was no, right. you know, like there was no influencer culture. There was no Instagram. There was no social media. And so you were going on the show pretty much to find love. Cool. And so... You know, that worked 
for some people. It wor- <laughs> you know, it worked better for some people than other people. Um, I'm not going to spoil anything about what happens in this season, but um, it is such an interesting cultural time capsule. There are some very wild moments <laughs> that have held up quite poorly, uh, and there are some other moments that I think uh, maybe the show would benefit from trying to lean back in towards, you know? Um, so please join us next week. I think it'll be enriching cultural experience for all of us. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it. We did, of course, come here to make friends. If you'd like to continue the conversation with us, you can do so on the Bachelor of Hearts Osh Posting group on Facebook. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at BOHpod. Xavier is at Xavier RN, wherever you get good Xaviers. And I <laughs> am uh, at Max Quinn. That's me. Look, I don't have too much to say other than a quick shout out to the Zave heads and listeners. We love you. We love you. Goodbye.